We are Gold Ivy, a health company dedicated to simplifying health and wellness. Tune in as we search to find the deep, real, and raw truth. We're here to talk big, no room for small talk. It is our mission to inspire, seek growth, simplify the action steps, and build confidence. You decide what works for your daily life and how to transform our lessons into your gold. Are you ready to step into your power? Now is the time. Join us on the fearless pursuit of self-discovery and growth. This is Ivy Unleashed, a Gold Ivy production. If you struggle with digestion, energy, bloat, acne, mood, fatigue, listen up. I spent four years, 50 plus doctors, and tens of thousands of dollars to heal my gut so you don't have to. I've created the What To Do Guide I wish I had before spending years navigating the overwhelming amount of information and conflicting doctors' opinions out in the gut health world. My help, I can't figure out what's wrong with me, the How To Heal Your Gut Starter Kit is now available and the response to it online has been incredible. On top of what I wish I would have known, I also wish this information would have been easily accessible for me. Because of that, it's available to you on the shop page of our website for only $9.99. Included in my guide is what helped me and countless others heal their gut, along with chronic fatigue, acne, hormone imbalances, and so much more. You'll learn what foods to stay away from, what foods to eat, a four-week gut healing eating plan, lifestyle tools to aid your healing process, and two of my go-to favorite recipes. So head over to our shop page on our website, goldivyhealthco.com. And remember, happy gut, happy life. You can heal. Let me help you. If you're a regular listener of the show or you follow us on social media, you know I, Brooke, just ran my first marathon and Andrea ran her 22nd state in her goal to run a marathon in every state. How did I go from barely getting out of bed to being able to run 26.2 miles, a customized training plan, and coaching with Andrea. With my health concerns, it was important for me to make sure I crossed that finish line safely and confidently. We are so excited to announce that we are now offering customized training plans. Whether you're wanting to run a 5K, 10K, half, or full marathon, we've got you covered. Get your customized training plan plus coaching to get you race ready and keep you motivated along the way. Prior to receiving your training plan, you will meet with me, Andrea, for a 15 minute call to discuss your goals, race details, and schedule your three coaching calls. You will receive a training plan for your race, tailored to your schedule, endurance, and cross training preferences like yoga, biking, strength, or whatever movement you enjoy. Coaching throughout your training will provide accountability, safety, and inspiration to keep you pursuing your training and race goals. With Andrea, you will connect your mind and body to maximize your race experience. And if you're looking for a custom training plan without coaching, we're offering that as well. Head over to the shop page on our website, goldivyhealthco.com, to learn more and get you across that finish line. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Ivy Unleashed. We are so grateful, as always, that you are tuning in today. Yes. Thank you for joining us. We are covering a topic that we haven't covered before, and it is one that is no easy 
topic to cover. We are diving into grief today. Mm -hmm. Yes. And again, with Ivy Unleashed, uh, Ivy is about growing in hard places. And what inspires Brooke and I, and so many people we've heard are the stories that we hear, you know, not just tell me how to do something, tell me how to be healthier. It's no, in real life, tragedy strikes and things go wrong and you have to figure out how to function and how to survive and how to thrive, uh, when you're not ready for it. And there's no real like one, two, three on how to do this. And so we are so honored to have Allie Whitworth here today. Thank you for being here and welcome to Ivy Unleashed. Of course. I'm happy to be here. Yes. And like Andrea said, there's no real easy way to get into it, but we're going to try and do your story justice, Allie. And again, we're so grateful you're here. Would love for you to take us back to what life was like for you before March 10th of 2019. Okay. So it was, you know, completely different than now in more ways than one. I was a mom uh, married to my high school boyfriend, and I just had my third son. It was kind of a transitional partner life where after having a baby, you kind of go through like, okay, what's next? And this is so exciting and so great. And we were kind of on the border of determining if our family was now complete and um, or if we wanted to have more kids and what we wanted to do. And so I kind of like had come to this point where my husband and I, Kale, like we would look at each other all the time, just being, you know, overwhelmed with so much gratitude and happiness that we felt with having our son. We had some ideas of, you know, starting a business um, for me, kind of going to the realm of things that I wanted to in career path and potentially moving. And uh, so just like a lot of, you know, cool, exciting things. We were in our mid twenties. So it was just, you know, what you think life would be, you know, mid-20s, have some kids, you're married, you're kind of living the American dream, as people would say. And so it was great. And then things just completely, you know, shifted unexpectedly and um, kind of took off from there in another direction. Yeah. And as far as the day goes, you know, March 10th, I'm sure it's etched in your brain. Do you have like a vivid memory of that from start to finish? Is it blurry? And can you try and walk us through what happened? Yeah. So um, it kind of started like the Wednesday before. So March 10th was a Sunday morning. And like the Wednesday, Thursday before, um, Kayla had gotten sick. And it was kind of like at first, like, comical for me because here I was like two little girls and then a newborn son. Well, not newborn, but I guess first six months is all blur when you have a newborn, Mm -hmm. you know, then he started feeling sick. So I kind of was like, okay, like a man cold really when we have like all this stuff going on and I'm busy and trying to nurse and trying to sleep and, you know, all these different things. So it was kind of one of those things where I knew that he was sick, but I also was like, okay, buddy, pick it up because we got like things to do and kids and whatever. And then by like the second or third day of him being sick is when I realized like something was actually not right. And I, Kayla and I had been together since our senior year of high school. So we, it actually was our 10th year of being together. And through that entire 10 years, I'd never seen him as sick as he was at this point. So to me, that was where like reality kind of, shifted for me of like, okay, this is a little more serious than I thought. 
And um, I mean that in the terms of like a fever where he was delirious. It wasn't really making sense. His color had kind of shifted. And that's when I knew like, okay, this isn't like a typical man cold. This is like, you're sick with something. And at that point, it was also me protecting our, our children of, okay, so you are this sick. So instead of you sleeping in bed with me where we're co-sleeping with our baby, maybe you should stay in the basement to kind of like give us a little bit of a barrier. So that's what he did. Um, he started sleeping in the basement like the first night and I would just make him food and take it down there or whatever. And then that next day is when I, I reached out to a family member just saying like, hey, like he's actually really sick. And so I think I need to take him in somewhere. I don't even think he's well enough to drive. And um, that was saying a lot for Kale for someone who worked on power lines for a living and like never really got sick ever, you know, super high energy guy, never really let things get him down. And so I took him to urgent care and we were kind of like the last people seen for the day and uh, kind of pushed in and out and they had diagnosed him with the flu and um, sent us on our way with, you know, a couple of prescriptions, Tamiflu, cough syrup, like, okay, like, get better, you'll, you'll be fine. And that first night, I said goodnight to him the next day, had a little bit of interaction with him, but I was mainly just trying to take care of the kids too. And uh, so after that next day, um, we kind of gone through like, I was going through my normal routine with everything. And he had, he had been communicating via text because we were, I was out with the kids and I was like, okay, like, how are you feeling? It's like, I think I'm feeling a little bit better. Like, I think I'm okay. I'm not sure. You know, we'll see. And then later in the evening, whenever I got home, he needed to, uh, he needed to take some work documents to the downtown office, which was like 35 minutes from where we lived. And I say this because all these details make sense in the long version of the story, but he was, you know, he knew that I was kind of like through this whole period, I'd been going through some really bad like postpartum anxiety. So he knew that me having to take on the toll of like single parenting for those few days was high on me. So um, it was really like a cool moment for me to reflect on because when we got in the car to take these work documents that he had to have this deadline met he kind of just like looked at me and held my hand and he was like, I just, like, I just want to make sure you're okay. Like, I know you're anxious and I know this is a lot and I just want to like, thank you for taking care of me and I love you. Like you've got this and just, I appreciate you. And we drove down, took care of his stuff and, and came back home and he felt well enough at that point to eat Chipotle. And so we got Chipotle and went home and kind of were chatting for a minute. So at that point I was like, okay, like he's coming around, like things things seem to be like looking better. And uh, he had even texted his work manager being like, I think I can show up to work tomorrow. I'm kind of on the fence. We'll see how I feel. I literally like kissed him on his neck goodnight because I didn't like want to transmit, but I just was like, I love you. I'm thankful for you. And I'm sorry you've been so sick. So he went to the basement. I went upstairs and like to answer your question, that's like a vivid burned image in my head of like literally I can remember staring at his face and like kissing him and just being like you know that was that was literally the my last time I'd ever see him living and then um I went upstairs and the weird part of this shifts because this postpartum anxiety that I'd been dealing with was like a slow like intense burn for months of just 
heart racy, anxiousness, not able to sleep. And those close to me knew that I was like deeply struggling with this. And when I went upstairs, I had this instant like feeling to text him, even though I'd just seen him downstairs. Um, I texted him and I said, I love you and I'm sorry you're so sick. And he instantly responded like I was staring at the bubbles, him texting right back, just being, I love you. Don't worry about me. I'm okay. And um, that whole night, I had just my anxiety and I didn't want to bother him, but like I couldn't sleep, heart racy feelings. I called my parents who lived across the world in Singapore at that time, just battling like, I'm so anxious tonight. Like I need to go wake up Kale. Like I think I might have to go I think to the hospital. Like I think something's happening to me, but like I don't want to bother him because he's sick. So they sat on the phone with me and, uh, you know, it kind of went through hours of just like, I'm not well, but like, I have to be well for our kids because he's not well. And then around like three in the morning, I finally fell asleep and, uh, I woke up at around seven and I remember looking at my phone being like, oh my gosh, like that's the longest stretch of sleep that I've had because I've been dealing with such intense anxiety for months and have not been able to sleep. Like I was wowed, you know, just kind of like, oh my gosh, I, I got like such peaceful rest. And my daughter, LaRue, walks in the room, just like, let's go get dad. Let's go get dad. Like, let's, let's see how he is. Come on. And like one breakfast and the other little two were still sleeping. So LaRue and I went down to the basement and I remember opening the door and the room, like the blinds were mostly shut. So I could just see some slight morning light. And as I went to go touch his leg to like shake him, be like, Hey, you know, wake up. Let's, how are you feeling? Instantly, I knew something was not right. And at the same time, I turned on the light. And as soon as I saw him and simultaneously touched his leg, I just at that point was like, okay, I have to get out. Something in me was just get out. And it's crazy because you think your initial response to something like that would be to like tend to or take care of right then and there. But in reality, like you don't, your, your brain is not even like catching up with what's actually happening. And my daughter had jumped on the bed on top of him to wake him up excitedly at this point. So as soon as I realized something wasn't right, I screamed for her name, just said, get out. We ran upstairs, um, literally straight out the front door across the street to my neighbor's house. And I was calling 911 again, like the power of like, when you're spiritually connected with yourself, mentally connected with yourself, like you just have this intuition and gut feeling. And at this point I had no idea he wasn't breathing. I just knew I had to do something. And so I was banging on my neighbor's door on the phone with 911 and my daughter just like staring at me, like screaming in tears because she has no idea what's happening. And I remember the operator just saying like, what's your emergency? Like, what are you doing? And I said, my, my husband, there's something wrong and I need someone to get here now. And she said, okay, well, you need to go down there. You need to check his pulse. Like she's telling me the rundown. And I literally like, I'm staring at my neighbor's door. They're not answering. I'm on the phone with 911. I'm looking at my daughter and I tell the operator, I'm like, if you have me go down there and he's not alive, you're going to have two deceased people because I will not 
survive this. So I suggest like you get someone here right now before I find that out. She had to get kind of stern with me and say like, look, this, this is his chance, you know, for you to intervene. So you have to go down there. So I took my daughter back inside my house. My neighbors hadn't answered. I left her at the entryway with an, um, her iPad. And I just said, call Mimi and Pop, my parents, and stay on the phone or stay on FaceTime with them. And I have to go downstairs. And uh, I ran downstairs and they gave me instruction of what to do, how I, I needed to lift him off the bed and onto the floor. And again, the details are what adds up in all of this because I don't even have the strength to pick up someone of that weight and move them to the floor. And at this point, trying to be cautious of taking care of, you know, his head and his body and everything, it was just supernatural power that I had at that point that I knew spiritually and with my faith that I was like helped and carried through those moments, physically, emotionally, all of it. And I started performing CPR by instruction and because I'm in the basement and because I don't live in a great area, the connection on the phone call dropped. So I was left with literally like breathing air into a person that it just was coming out and I, I had no idea what to do. And um, just literally without sharing like too many details, just trying every effort that I knew how to revive him they arrived the crews arrived like shortly after that and they told me to leave and they took care of the you know everything else that was happening down there pulled him into the other room and at this point again like i still just thought he was unconscious i had no idea that he had passed and so i was upstairs in the living room at this point my neighbors had come over and gotten larue my other two were still sleeping and I was just sitting on my couch in my living room and, and they were coming up and down the stairs just asking me questions like, okay, when was the last time you took his medication? When was the last time you talked to him? I showed them the text message and they're like, okay. And they went back downstairs and about, it was 28 minutes and th that they worked on him. And I'll never forget that whenever he, the battalion chief, he'd come upstairs and just you know, in a very nonchalant way, I was by myself, just said, okay, well, we've tried everything and, and he's gone. So we need to call family members. And at this point, like, I literally was like trying to like, I, I was sitting like this, just trying to choke myself to pass out, to wake up to this literally being the worst moment of my entire life. And um, that's where you know, things just forever changed and not even in just the way of like, okay, he's, he's, he's died, but then it was, okay, how did, how did we get here? Like what happened? What, what did I immediately, I'm like, what did I do wrong? Like, how could I have prevented this? How, I had no answers. So that was kind of like the morning. And, and honestly, like all of those moments are so deeply ingrained in my memory and even down to like scent and touch that I'll never be able to like fully forget or not even forget but desensitize. I will say like after those moments <clears throat> the day progressed and the days progressed after that 
where I have lost a lot of memory and I think maybe out of protection for, you know, your body does some pretty incredible things when you're having to make those, those decisions and the adrenaline and just everything. But, um, that was what had happened and how he passed. And then it wasn't for two weeks on his birthday, actually, that we got answers to how he passed. And, um, that's that's how the day went Mm. thank you for sharing that with us and walking through you saying that the supernatural and strength and your spirituality coming through it's like people listening you know myself i i have no words same and you know you you said where how do you make sense of this so you get this news and then what Right, your whole your whole life has changed, and you have three littles. Two are still sleeping, and you have to. And it's the start of the day; like they're gonna wake up. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, I'm I'm next to you on the couch right now, staring at you, thinking, how the hell do you even move? How mm-hmm. do you even make a decision? Like, how? Yes, how, how long you- until people came to support you, mm-hmm. and you had people next to you? My mother-in-law and my brother-in-law were on their way up because as they were asking me questions, I, of course, was like calling them, Mm -hmm. texting our best friends. Um, Unfortunately, they all lived like the next city away. So it was about 45 minutes away. So that's why I was alone for so long. Um, And I also think that because of the situation and because of Kale's age, like people were kind of shocked, right? Like Mm -hmm. they they didn't expect this to be like a matter of death, just maybe a matter of like, he's very sick, he needs to go to the hospital, let me come up and help with kids, you know, get while you go get things taken care of with him. And, um, you know, I think that there's like some top, like devastating moments for me during this portion of my life. And um, other than the moment that I found him and the moment that they told me he had passed the next to that day are like follow. And it was when his mom was on the phone and um, his mom is in the fire department in the city away. And that was her whole career path was doing, was in this line of work and having to do this every single day with families. And I remember we called her, she was on the phone and whenever he had told us the news or told me the news that he had passed, she just immediately her voice and the things that she said, it was like crippling. Mm -hmm. And that was a moment where it was no longer, I think that was the moment, honestly. And and I'm kind of having like an epiphany, like as I'm saying this, but um, I think that was a moment where I like realized that, it was no longer going to be my pain that I carried that like, it was no longer just like my loss and what I went through, but that I was going to like, I, I could still feel for other people, even though this was the ultimate loss for me, that there was so much more pain to be felt for those who were experiencing this too. And so um, she arrived with my brother-in-law and my father-in-law um, came, our best friends came and um, honestly, like soon after 
uh, my husband's company, Excel Energy, like he was a lineman and they have like a true brotherhood in that line of work. It's incredible. And I can't even tell you how many people just showed up at our house to surround us and take care of us and be of support and out of love for him. So, so many people showed up. My parents dropped everything and flew across the world, which takes, you know, two days to get back. I had so many people come. With that being said, it is pretty incredible. Like the, on the, on the sad side of things and devastating side of things, how many decisions have to be made literally immediately. And so um, I was just talking to one of my, my best friend about this uh, a couple of days ago, actually, and we were discussing how when someone dies, you know, you, you don't even get time to grieve. Like you are immediately thrown into decisions and things that you have to make choices between. And um, it's sad because it takes away from you being able to process. So that's what immediately happened. Everyone showed up and it was beautiful. And I'm so thankful, but then it was kind of clouded too by me immediately being thrown into decisions that I shouldn't, no one should ever have to make at that time in their life. Your head must have just been spinning. And so I'm curious how you got through the next moment and the moment after that, how you kept going. That's a, that's a really good question. Um, I think that at that point, there's, there, there are people who are guiding you through this. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you have someone telling you like, okay, this paperwork needs to be done and okay, we need this from this person and, and, you know, all of the things, right. And, um, there's a structure to the process. So there's that, but it's a whole different type of strength that you have to literally have to be able to like be willing to do those things and to actually like follow that again, like in reflection of things, I think that we are built to withstand the things that we are in life. And that's something that I hold so closely, like, and I can look back and then the reflection of my entire life and see that the things that I went through were all leading me to different points and in a way preparing you. So for me, I think that spiritually and I think mentally and emotionally, I had already overcome a lot in my life. And then I think that, you know, with being a believer and, and no matter what you believe spiritually, but for me personally, I felt that I had so much direction and intuition within myself and protection and guidance. And that's where, you know, when you're to think about these decisions that you're making, it's kind of like a movie that you envision. And, and when you watch a movie and something like this happens, you're like, oh my gosh, I'd be on the floor crying and then I'd be doing this and then I wouldn't even be able to do that. But when you're actually in the moment, like something takes over that's bigger than you and you, you just have the strength. And at least that's what I felt that I had. If there was strength that was not of just my own, that I, that was poured into me those days that I was making those decisions. And, um, I think that the support of other people was huge as well. I had so much support with my children, um, people bringing over diapers and meals and literally just showing up with love, like just being there. My house honestly was so full 
that it makes me emotional, like looking back, because I think that next to the moments of finding him and then, you know, the hard conversations I had to have and then laying him to rest, I think like the day that I just completely lost it was the day after his funeral, because when I woke up in the morning, I had no one in my home. And it was me and my mom and my kids and my house was empty and all these people that had like, you know, shown up and been there and literally just laughing and crying and laying there. And my living room was full of like pallets on the floor, beds of people just like sleeping with me and just so much support. And that was devastating when I woke up the day after his funeral and everyone was gone and because they had to, you know, this, this was my life to live beyond that and my burden to carry and you know people had to get back to their normalcy you know but I think that the support of people I think that my faith you know really helped guide me and make those decisions and um ultimately like it was kind of like a minute by by minute and I remember people telling me that and looking at me being like okay like just take things minute by minute. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about the next day. We're just going to go through. And that is how you do it. It's you, you can't worry about, Hey, what am I going to do about next week? What am I going to do about this? It's like literally getting through those tiny little moments and just being so intentional with what you're doing and feeling it and embracing it and just riding the waves of the grief and the trauma and all of it. That's how I, how I got through it. So during these moments of the minute by minute, you know, did you have any breakdowns? Did you have any anger, like screaming, bawling? Like, what is that like to have all that emotion inside of you? Mm -hmm. I think that right after they told me that he had passed, it was immediately like decision-making. Like, do you want to see him? for the last time before we take him and, you know, without being morbid, it's like to be asked these things and to be, you know, it's so much structure again. Like I think there, there were some key people that were so empathetic and so caring about the situation. But then I also think that some of it was kind of dealt with like a urgency of like following the plan of how things are supposed to happen after one dies. And, um, I think that that's where I started to, I did have moments of frustration because I was immediately told that and then immediately asked if I want to see him one last time before they took him and then not understanding why they had to take him right then. And then it was, okay, we need, you know, his ID and we need his wallet and we need his phone and we need, you know, the medication. And so all of these things I'm being asked, I was literally just like looking, I remember being like kind of dumbfounded, like. I knew my house. I lived in my house. But then when they're asking me for things, I'm like, wait, what am I supposed to be doing? Where, where am I supposed to be looking for things? As I'm trying to process Mm -hmm. what just happened, they had taken me up to my room as the coroner was asking me questions and telling me the list of things that they needed. And that's where I, I went down, was looking for the items, went to Kale's truck, looking for his wallet. And I got in his truck and shut the doors and I sat there for a second. And I remember laying down on the front seat, just like 
completely losing control of my emotions, my fear, like my sadness, my shock. And this was a moment that I'll never forget in a moment that's shaped me ever since. But I just let everything out. And that's where my first breakdown had happened. And um, I remember just screaming, crying, like almost like praying out loud, like, you know, why? Like, why? why did this happen to me? Like, what did we do? I remember specifically saying, what did we do? Like, what did we do to deserve this? Like what happened? Like, I'm sorry. I, the words that came out of my mouth are truly heartbreaking. Like I was sorry that I couldn't save him. I was sorry that I couldn't be there next to him, that I couldn't have prevented this, you know, with this being like the time of Easter too. Like I was reading a scripture yesterday and, um, you know, when Jesus is on the cross and, and he's like, why, why have you forsaken me? And it was kind of like a moment for me where I can in a very small, minuscule ever away, just, you know, that was my moment of like, what did I do and, and how, how am I ever going to get through this? And that's when I literally had this overwhelming strength come over me of it's going to be okay. And you're going to get up and this is going to be okay. And in my mind, I didn't know how I didn't kill wasn't coming back to life. And I had no manual of how to get through this. I had no idea if I was going to survive living through this, but that was my breakdown. But in the midst of the breakdown, I had this overwhelming feeling that it was all going to be okay and that we would be taken care of. And so to answer your question, that was definitely my first breakdown. And that was actually the first time that I could even cry. When they told me that he passed, I couldn't even have him. I couldn't even cry because I was in shock. So this was my first everything coming out. Wow. You explained that so beautifully. I can't imagine reliving that and remembering all of those feelings. And, you know, I'm a mom of three and I, my heart's just breaking, thinking, talking to your kids through this, you know, and saying those words for the first time. And, you know, it's so great that you had the support, right? But your kids want their mom and your kids want their dad. And so I'm so curious how you got through those days with your kids. You have a baby and -hmm. you have your body feeding your baby and you have those hormones and feelings. And so how did that go and how did you get through all of that? So I think it was pretty profound for me. Again, like these days when I explain them to people, I think initially people think they were like the worst days of my life, which they were. But there were so many like beautiful and impactful moments throughout that I will never forget. And that, again, have helped shape me. And I think that probably one of the hardest things I'll ever have to do and ever have done would be telling my daughter LaRue that her dad had died. And it was a moment of, you know, you're kind of like walking around and the kids are wondering like, okay, what's, who are all these people? And okay, like Uncle Derek's here and, you know, Mimi's coming and, you know, all the people that are there, they're wondering. And I had to literally take my daughter upstairs and sit her in her room and I just had to explain to her 
you know, I remember just looking at her and just crying before I could even speak. And Kale's mother was in the room with me on the other side of LaRue. And she just was looking at me like, how are we, how are we supposed to do this? And I just remember looking at LaRue and just saying, so, you know, like daddy was really sick and he was in the basement and he was sleeping and he just didn't wake up because he was really sick. And I was just explaining to her how he is with Jesus. And that's all I could say. That's literally all I can say at this point. I'm like, I can't, how do I tell my five-year-old that he died? So I just said, he's with Jesus and we're going to be okay. And she literally, like, you would think that you as the mom are the one protecting, taking care of your child at that point. But she was the one taking care of me. Like, she literally looked at me just being like, mom, it's okay. Like, it's so beautiful there. And he's with Jesus. And we're going to be okay. And like, you know, I, I just remember just sobbing from the strength that she had looking at me, assuring me that I was going to be okay and hugging me. And, um, you know, that was an incredible moment because I think that you see your children, those who are mothers will understand this, that you have your baby and you watch them grow and you watch their personalities come out and you learn like what kind of person they're going to end up being and their likes and dislikes and their strengths and all the qualities that they have. And I think LaRue being my first child, she was born like in a time that I was still trying to find myself and I had gone through something pretty crazy, like during that time in my life. And she was just strength for me and kind of like a new, a new reason to just be something bigger and better and show her and my future children, like how to be a good person and live a life and all these things. And so it was really cool to me to be able to, in that moment, just be like, you were meant to be right here. If this had to happen to us, like you and I were meant to be like this and be strength for each other. And she's been my rock. I mean, ever since like, she can sense when I'm upset. She can sense when I'm sad. I don't even have to speak a word. And um, it's pretty incredible, like, how your children can still take care of and protect you when they're the child. My other two, Lola, was at an age where she just couldn't understand. And then my son was six months. So Lola, honestly, like, Lola didn't really fully understand until probably last year. And... Um, ledger right now is realizing and it's devastating because it's not a concept that a child should have to ever understand and um you know lola has this thing with the moon and she thinks her dad's on the moon and so wherever the moon goes when we're going to school in the morning you can still see the moon and she's like dad's dad's coming with us to school and at night when the moon rises it's dad's watching us or dad's saying good night and it's pretty beautiful to see how children can not only overcome grief, but like come up with these beliefs that sustain them as they're getting through it as well. And my son now, he's three and it's kind of a, to be fully transparent, like a turbulent time for him because not only is he going through like not terrible twos, but terrible threes, but it's hard. I mean, this happened three years ago, but I'm dealing with new waves of grief as my son like tells me he doesn't want me. He wants his dad or like 
you know, cries for his dad when he doesn't even really have memory of his dad. So that the question that you asked with, you know, how you tell your children and how you, how they go through this, it's, it really is a daily thing. Like we deal with new things all the time with me answering questions of why and why he can't be here and how they want to go to daddy's house and, and things like that. But I think that I've worked really hard to build up their faith, but also the belief that there's life beyond this and that we will be reunited with him. And it's a really beautiful thing that instead of people thinking of a cemetery as like a, you know, sad and somber place, we go there and we celebrate his life and go there all the time. They beg to go there and they enjoy it. And so I think that it's been an ongoing effort of trying to help them understand the meaning of life and the beauty of it through their loss. So it's an ongoing process of guiding that with them. Well, you're parenting, like you think about parenting skills and it's like, you have had to be on, <laughs> like you have to be on all the time and it has to be, it's exhausting to be a parent because mm -hmm. you care so much for them and, and you do so much for them. And then to have to answer these, the heaviest questions you could possibly be asked every day. Wow. Like, how do you care for yourself? Like, well, how do you refill your tank and how are you able to function day to day with how heavy and, and big these questions uh, are. It's a lot. I mean, I'll be honest. Like, I think that hearing myself explain like everything that I have so far, and I do get this question a lot and, and people will say things like, you're so strong and you're, you know, amazing. And then this and that. And although I appreciate those words, like very deeply, I also think that I have my shortcomings all of the time. And you know, as far as like parenting styles and skills and everything, like I struggle just like everyone else does, because as much as this is an everyday factor that affects our life, that kills no longer here and that I'm without my husband and without, you know, he's without his children here and, and they're missing him. I still have the struggles of, you know, how to put them in time out and how to enforce a bedtime routine and homework and all these things. So I, I have my shortcomings in so many ways. And I think that I'm my, my toughest critic when it comes to everything. Like I, I don't think I get any passes because I've, you know, been handed these cards. So I'm, I still work really hard to be a good parent and um, to also teach my children that like, I don't want this to be something that we use for the rest of our life of how we're victims for this or how this, because their dad died or because my husband died, like we should have an easy ride with anything. And so I, I really try hard to be a parent that Kale and I would have been together as parents. As far as refilling myself and refueling, I mean, I think that again, like to be fully transparent, this has not been an easy process on any spectrum of a scale, because not only am I trying to grieve, but then I'm trying to parent through grief and then also trying to still enjoy life and build. And so it's this tangled web 
that even after three years, I still haven't figured out. And in the very beginning, I think that, again, I had like almost this fog of, I had so much spiritual awareness and just like this, the, I knew that the veil was so thin between life and death. And I almost like could sense Kale's presence at times and comfort and all of these things. And then throughout time, like, you know, life happens, your bills are still due and, you know, bad things still happen. And um, it's kind of like riding the waves of all of that. So then over time I started, you know, trying to distract myself and, and I still do, you know, that's something that I have a lot of awareness with now where there's a balance that you have to have between refueling, but also filling yourself with distraction and knowing when you're off balance. And so there was a period of time where I was like, you know, I need to be out of my house because I don't want to think about this. I don't want to be in the place that he died. And I also, you know, need to like socialize. I need to go do this and do that. And it was like a mental game of what's the next best thing that I can distract myself with to forget or to take away some of the pain. And I went through a phase of that. And then, um, you know, I kind of had a phase where COVID had started, things started shutting down and it was at the one year mark of his death. And that's where I had to literally my life as I knew it stopped again, because then I could no longer run to the places that distracted me because they were closed. So it was me dealing with myself and being in my home a lot more and my emotions. And um, that started like another period. And it's not until now where I feel like I have a better grasp and balance as far as knowing what things truly refuel me versus the things that distract and that could be said for grief. It could be said for anything that you're going through in life, whether it be with relationships, with work, with having a hard time parenting, where you really have to have some true awareness within of, okay, am I, am I doing this to actually benefit me and fuel, fuel my mind, my spirit, my body, my physical body? Or am I doing this as a form of distraction, which in turn leads me down a road of just chasing, you know, nothing. So now for refueling, I do love to travel. <clears throat> and that's because when you're in a state of, you know, you, I, my husband is no longer here. My kids are without their dad. I'm single parenting. I'm running a business, trying to be a good friend, trying to be a good sister and daughter and all of, all of these different things and a mother first and foremost, I also have to have balance and an escape of the sense of when you travel, you're kind of outside of your bubble. So then you realize life is so much bigger than it is. And it's like those little tastes of like, it's like fresh air for me to where I kind of at times can feel suffocated by the problems in life when I'm deep within them here. And then whenever I can leave, I'm like, okay, life is, is so much bigger. I have been through so much worse. This is my, this is my time to just fully soak this in and realize like there is more to live for and there's more to do here and more to strive for. So I'd say my biggest thing is, is travel for sure. 
And also I, I try to stay spiritually connected as much as I can, whether it's, you know, reading books, whether it's worship music, whether it's church, whether it's, you know, uh, I have a Bible study that I was involved in with some friends, just things like that too, because at the end of the day, I truly don't think that I would be here if it weren't for my faith, if it weren't for um, me knowing the true meaning of life and salvation and family and all of that. So I think that I really try to lean into that as much as I can, because that's truly what refuels me like to my core. But those, those are two, two things I really rely on. Yeah. So beautiful. And speaks to the importance of perspective, no matter what the story is. You know, Mm -hmm. I think of faith and perspective with travel is what I'm hearing. I'm also wondering how or what you found helpful with getting those emotions out of you. Like we talk a lot about trauma and emotion and actually like not letting that eat you up. And so Mm -hmm. I'm curious what practices you found that help actually process the emotions that are going on through all of the stages of grief these last three years? So um, I've always been a writer. So like journaling and even notes in my phone, like I have hundreds of notes in my phone of where I'll be at a stoplight and think of something or out and about. I think the writing really got me through a lot of what I was trying to process because if it's something that I couldn't speak to someone or didn't feel like something's that I felt I didn't feel safe enough to say. I didn't feel like I'd be understood. And so I wrote them. And then um, about two to three months in to all of this after losing Kale is a kind of a time where I started feeling this urge to do something to, and and I still will say this, like my, my close friends know and family that Like I've always sensed from that moment that I had my first meltdown, breakdown, everything coming out in Kale's truck, I had this sense of me being able to use this pain for purpose and me being able to maybe help someone, even if it was one person down the road. You know, there were times after he had died, I remember like Googling young widows, young widows with kids and lifespan of widows and you read horrible things like broken heart syndrome, which is actually a thing. And But then there's also not a lot of information of how widows got through things because there's no real manual or no real way to figure this out other than you going through it yourself. So I started writing and I was collecting journals and through like a lot of prayer and thought and me collecting these entries, I felt that I needed to share with someone And it was an extremely vulnerable point for me because at this point, some of these things I had written were things that it was me reliving horrible moments in my life. But then also knowing that I could potentially help someone who, if they ever had to face this, that they would maybe have someone to look to for advice or strength or anything, or just knowing that they weren't alone for the single fact of that. So writing quickly became a sense of therapy for me, but then also a way that I expressed it to others. So I created a grief blog and I named it Carried by Grace. And that was because, like I said, whenever I had to literally lift Kale 
out of the bed to perform CPR. Like, like I said, I, it was not just the power within me. And then also my sister had shared with me privately that she had this dream. And I've actually, I don't think I've ever really shared this, but she had this dream shortly after Kale had passed of me just carrying, literally carrying him upstairs. And it was like stairs, but she didn't know where to where, but that I was just like carrying him and that I had my kids behind me. And she shared that with me. And that's kind of what I wanted the theme of my blog to be was carried by grace. Now, if you're a a believer in Christ, it means a lot to you. If, If you're just more of a spiritual person, it can mean another. But for me, I just felt like I was carried through a lot of these moments by something bigger than me. And I ended up publishing it three, I think a little over three months after he passed. And that was my outlet. And still is to this day, even though I don't blog as much as I used to, it was my place as a sense of therapy to be able to openly share and then know that I could be potentially helping someone. But I've tried all sorts of realms of therapy too. I've tried talk therapy, EMDR, um, neurofeedback, which has been awesome for me as well. Um, My kids have done a little bit of those things as well. But a lot of my outlets have been through writing just because I think that's a way for me to express everything I'm feeling without having to feel like I'm understood, Mm. if that makes sense. Yeah. It's like you're doing it for you, only you. Yes. Yeah. And you don't have to worry about the judgment. What are people thinking about what I'm saying? Like you just pour it out there. When I blog... I have gotten some not great feedback and judgment and things like that too, but yes, but I think that that's the risk that you take Mm -hmm. when you're open and honest. And that's something that my best friend like says all the time, as far as like being real with people and being honest and open. And it's really been something I've learned that I used to be a people pleaser and I used to be one that was afraid to have confrontation and to say how I really felt. And I'm learning to speak and act and live in a way of just being as honest and open as I can be, which is a constant struggle, but because you never know like who you're still helping in the meantime or teaching someone. And so I I do live to share those things on my blog now because it's worth so much more to me knowing that I could be helping someone. I'd, I'd take the flack from people every day if I know that I was helping just one person. So, but there is a balance. I bet. I love that you created that too. I think you felt the, a need, right? Like how many blogs are there for young widows, especially as young as you, you know, like this doesn't happen. And so I can imagine that lonely feeling of, you know, being alone without your spouse and then who who else can even relate to what I'm going through at all? Have you found any support groups or anybody to connect with that's kind of helped you get through this? Yeah, I actually, some of my closest friends and not so much in a way of like we talk every single day or, you know, hang out all the time, but have really close connections with are widows. And I was introduced into a young widows group by a good friend of mine who I had gone to high school with and he had lost 
his fiance um, before Kill had passed. And so I was invited to that. And that's an amazing group of people. Also through reading a couple of books, I was introduced, like there's one called the Hot Young Widows Club, which sounds like so funny and crazy by its name, but it really is a just an amazing group of widows that try to make like the best of your situa- situation and try to connect and build. And um, it was through a book that I read and she had done a, a TED talk and her name is Nora McInerney. I think I pronounced her last name right, but she's great. But yeah, the power of connection with people truly is incredible. Through publishing on my blog, I've had so many people reach out that I've connected with widows literally like across the world and in other countries and other states. And the connection that you can have with people over something so profound in your life is incredible because you learn from them, you grow from that. And then you help each other without even knowing it. You help each other. So it's been it's been really cool. Yeah. And you're helping people right now by just sharing <laughs> your story. Mm-hmm. So you've relied on support groups and your faith. And I'm curious, these first three years after losing Kale, what you've learned about yourself and about life? That is such a loaded question. But <laughs> I have good answers. Um, so... First, I'll start with what I've learned about myself is that it's kind of been like a metamorphosis, if you will, by definition of like, I've literally had to become something else to withstand this. And um, just in this doesn't just go for me, this goes for everybody who goes through something so um, impactful in their life, like you have to change into someone else to kind of go through all the different motions and the decisions and just the everyday. And so for me, I've had, I'm a different person. It's kind of incredible because like, I'll ponder on this sometimes because I'll go through like my daily life and I kind of, it will almost like shake me for a second of like, what is happening? Like, how is this my life now? I'm, I'm a single mom but then like a widowed mom and kill died, like it kind of just shakes me up a little bit. And this is three years in. And if I were to imagine him walking through the door right now, like I'm not even sure he would recognize what he sees. And not even like from a physical standpoint, really, it's just more so like I'm an, I'm a new person. And so I think that's the biggest thing I, I had to learn about myself And this is something really important for anyone going through something like loss or whether it was a a divorce, a breakup, um, a death or loss of a child. Like, I mean, so many different things this could be applied to, but you have to learn to let go of the idea of the person that you wanted to be and that you you thought you were going to be. And that was something that was really hard for me. In a way, I had to grieve that. I'll be completely honest and open when I say not even right now, but I tell people I have a lot of guilt for the fact that I'm not the mom that I always had wanted to be. And that's something that is emotional for me because I've, I've always wanted to be a mom since I was a little girl. Like that was my only dream was to be a mom. And 
people would kind of like make fun of me they still do that like cheaper by the dozen that movie with all little kids and the chaos and the crazy like that's my dream life and the moment that kale died that i had to let go of that because i've had to change and um you know so i kind of have had to grieve the fact that my kids don't get the mother that i thought that i was going to be to them and then for myself, like I had to grieve the person that I was with Kale because I've had to change. And that goes from like likes and dislikes and strengths and weaknesses and all of it has kind of been shaken up. And for a while, that was another thing that like it made me really sad and it still does. But I'm also so proud of the fact that I can be confident in myself and who I am and the things that I've had to go through to become who I am right in this moment. And so now it's more so I take pride in the fact that I've had to become this person. And if people don't like that version of me, then that's really sad. But like, this is the person who came through the storm that was weathered. And, you know, I, I don't have any apologies for the way that I chose to kind of get through this because it all led me to where I am right now. And that's not to say I don't have regret in certain actions or, you know, where I fell short in circumstances, but it's really been a big life lesson for me that I've had to relearn who I am and become someone else um, to be able to get through something like this. And I think that's something that everyone should also know if they're going through something too that you have to let go of like anything that you feel from that whether it makes you sad or you know it can make you feel lonely at times because your circle of of people will change and your circumstances will shift around you and you'll learn you no longer like hanging out with certain people or you no longer like certain music or movies or whatever and you're like, the old me would have loved this. And the old me, you know, why can't I be like that? And instead you shifted to, this is who I am now. And I need to lean into that and embrace it um, because this is who I was built to be. So that was my biggest thing was relearning who I am and discovering that. Um, and I think that from there, it's just a matter of carrying through, you know, and so that, that's my biggest lesson that I've learned and something that I really hold on to tight because I think that as sad as my circumstance and story could be, I have found so much strength and purpose from it. And I'm, I'm proud of how I've gotten through and who I am now. Oh, that was so beautiful. We just met you and I'm... <laughs> I'm so moved and grateful and honored and just and, the words and you're proud of you. Yeah, too. that's why I'm like, I just met you and I'm so proud of you. <laughs> I'm curious with you relearning yourself, you're this new person and you're trying to navigate life now. How are you getting through moment by moment today? You know, what is that like for you now? Another really good question. Um, I think that honestly, it's with intention and really like I kind of laugh at this only because um, those closest to me know will say that my life is kind of chaotic and it's kind of crazy and I can be kind of crazy and kind of, you know, all over the place. 
But at the same time, I try to just have a lot of grace with myself. And that sounds very cliche. And, um, you know, the moment by moment thing still applies, though. I mean, I, again, I have the same stress as everyone else does, you know, stressed about, you know, an event coming up or, you know, uh, work or feeling overwhelmed or parenting or bills. And it's kind of like a moment by moment thing of how I I get through life now. And I think that um, we are our own best teachers really applies in the sense of when you have intentionality behind your focus, um, behind where you want your life to go with your relationships, like intentionality and then alignment are so important to me. And although I still, again, have my shortcomings and I fail at this all the time and I make the same mistakes that everyone else does with carelessness or being forgetful or, you know, sometimes not a great friend or, you know, sometimes not parenting the best way. I also feel like you knowing and having awareness within yourself of where you're trying to go and who you're trying to be and who you want your circle to be filled with and who you want your kids to see that you are. I really do try to follow in alignment with that. And that even comes with the hiccups and where I mess up. And I, I joke, you know, about myself all the time in ways that I could do better. And I try to make it a learning lesson for my kids too, because that's my biggest focus right now. The reason why I hustle so hard, the reason why I'm hard on my kids and try to teach them to rise above that victim mentality. The reason why, you know, sometimes I've had to reevaluate the people who are close to me um, and create boundaries is all because I want my kids to be able to learn these lessons as they're getting older from me to be able to raise humans that have the strengths that I want to acquire. And just because I'm teaching them to hustle and to work really hard doesn't mean I'm the hardest working out there. And it doesn't mean I'm, I'm the best at what I'm, what I'm doing, but I want them to learn that I never stopped trying, that I never stopped improving, that I never stopped chasing ideas and dreams. And that's kind of what led me into the second phase of my life because each year has kind of had a theme after I've lost Kale. And the first year was grief. It was shock and trauma and how to deal with that. And then having to go through complete and utter darkness at times to be able to come out and appreciate the light and appreciate the good. And um, with that came a lot of you know trial and error and running from problems. And uh, that, was, that was the theme of the first year. The second was growth. And it was, okay, I've gone through the first year and I've survived that. And if I can survive that, like I damn well better be able to survive this next portion. And that was how to build from where I was. So that was when I started my business. And that's where, um, I really started having these ideas that were generating and I formed deep connection and relationships with some of my closest people that helped, you know, carry me through and that connection of sharing motivation and sharing inspiration and 
um, all of that helped build me. I learned so many lessons from the people around me and that was the theme. And now it's a matter of continuing that and becoming who I want to be. And that's a lot of work from the inside out. And um, a lot of that is something that I'm working really hard to teach my kids right now too. And so that's kind of where you take it minute by minute still and just have total awareness of, am I living within alignment of the things that I want? Are the people that I'm surrounding myself with right now, the people, are they the people that are gonna take me there or be with me when I am there? Are my kids watching what I'm doing now and understanding like the sacrifice and understanding the hustle and understanding why, you know, things are the way that they are and why maybe mom has to work late nights or you have to come with me to work. And um, it's all still minute by minute, but just being your own best teacher in the sense of having that awareness and trying to stay within alignment, whatever that may be. I have to say, you are an incredible teacher. I feel like I've been sitting here for an hour and the lessons are, there could be a book written from what you just said. I just feel like your kids are so blessed to have you. And Brooke and I talk a lot about empowered questions, asking yourself questions that get you to that next level or make you think deeper or get in alignment. And everything you just said, I'm going to be writing those questions down and asking myself over and over because they're so powerful. Like, what am I doing with my life? Am I, does it feel right? Are, is my circle right? Are my kids learning? Are they taking the right lessons from me? I mean, all of those are so powerful. And I just want to thank you for the way that your brain has worked in this process <laughs> to get you to where you are and, I cannot wait to read your book that you haven't started <laughs> writing yet. So you started book tour? <laughs> yeah, seriously. I will. I'll organize it. Don't worry. Yeah. Okay. You, yeah, exactly what Andrew's saying. Like, I just keep thinking you are such a badass. You're asking yourself these questions. You are doing the best you can while also chasing your dreams. And it's been so fun to watch you on social media. The work you beautiful. Yes. And so I'm curious how you're juggling all of these moving pieces, right? You're chasing your dreams. You're raising three kiddos by yourself. You are still dealing with grief. Like how do you juggle all of these things? Um, I, I don't, I mean, like I, I do, I juggle them, but it's not in a balanced way. And, um, it, it is a struggle. And I mean, just going back to like what you said just before, like, I think, I'm even going to re-listen to what I'm saying here because I think that like I need to reaffirm within myself a lot of the things that I've learned, but it's a process. And I think that, um, you know, again, you stumble and you pick up and you learn from it. And right now, as I'm saying all these things that I've learned, I'm condensing three years, really even more than that, because there's more, you know, things that have happened in my life before I lost Kale, where I kind of had to learn some really hard, tough lessons at a, at a young age. And I think that it's just, you have to rely on your own testimony to continue to build you and to teach you. So that's like the biggest thing is I'm saying all of these things, but it is through complete trial and error. So as people listen to this, I just wanted to reaffirm like, 
I mess up every single day and I forget these things daily. And I, you know, have to be reminded by, you know, stumbling and, and it's right in front of my face. And I'm like, wow, I already went through this and now I'm going through it again. Like get it together. But as long as you're honestly like so focused on trying to get better and trying to stay within that alignment is where things really do fall together. And, and I say this because I've seen it happen in my life with, you know, my business being number one, I've really tried to stay focused on the meaning of all loss and losing Kale. He was my absolute like best friend. And I know that everyone says that and it can be so cliche and, you know, they talk about their spouses, oh, they're my best friend, you know? And I think that that's, that could be true for so many people. Just like you can't compare grief because every person to them, their worst is their worst Mm -hmm. or like not even just grief, but their worst, you know, situation to ever happen in their life to them, that's their worst. And so for me, when someone says my spouse is my best friend and everything like to them, that's their truth. And, um, when you lose someone who literally is like, it felt like a piece of my soul was taken and a piece of me went with. And I've had to process that a lot throughout these three years. But from first losing him, and actually before, I told you guys how right before he passed away, we had gotten on like this perfect family vacation. And it was last minute, it was spontaneous. And he wanted to just have this like, you know, really fun surprise for the kids. So we picked up and drove from here to California. And this was literally like two and a half weeks before he died that he called me one day at work and was like, pack up the car. We're going to California in two days. You're going through a lot with your anxiety. I'm busy at work. We need to get away. And on that trip, I literally was discussing and working through my ideas of what I'm building right now. And that's all a matter of if you stay focused again in alignment within like the core of your being and chasing whatever dream you have or idea or staying focused on what you actually want to be and become. Um, I'm so grateful that the things I discussed with him on our last family vacation, I'm living those out now. And it took going through, I mean, without a doubt, the hardest thing I'll hopefully ever have to go through my life and a lot of darkness to be able to now see and look back and appreciate that I still have the same drive and motivation and power. And um, Homie is, is that for me. I had this idea of building a business where I could use my real estate license and use my eye for design and decor and reimagining spaces and um, eventually having like a home boutique that serves like eclectic and upscale things. Like all these ideas, I remember talking to him and he just was looking at me like, "Uh uh-huh, okay, let's do it. Like I'm with you. And even though he probably wasn't at the time, he was still like my ride or die and was going to make sure that I saw it through. And now I'm building this and I'm living it. And it makes me so proud because like you asked, like, how do I juggle it all? I I don't do it well. And I work a lot and my kids come with me a lot. And they, you know, sometimes there's late nights where I'm not home and I'm working or, you know, 
I'm stressed and they can see it and feel it. But um, that's actually the season that I'm in right now of when you're building something and you're hustling so hard, you hope that your kids see that and you hope that they don't resent you for it later and that they learn from you. And, you know, hopefully they're seeing all like the good things out of this. And so I don't juggle it well, but I'm trying. And I just literally every day I'm intentional about, okay, if I'm going to work all day and you make sure I have this sliver of time to be able to do this intentionally with the kids, or if I'm working all week, I need to make sure that I'm doing something fun and exciting for them that they can look forward to. Even if it's me sitting in like nasty Chuck E. Cheese or like <laughs> taking them somewhere cool. Um, but it's all of a matter of just leaning into chasing your dreams, you know, and, and working the hustle and building something. And although I can't balance it perfectly right now, I know that my efforts and I know that me following along my truth of what I know I'm meant to be doing and I can feel it within me, I know that it will pay off. And I think that can go alongside anyone that is trying to build something or excel, you know, far in their career, has these wild ideas that people don't quite understand why you're working as hard as you are and doing the things that you do. As long as you know within you that it's it's something that you have to do and you have this like urge to just chase it, you know, you're in the right direction. So I have no magic answer of how to juggle this because I am still learning, but (laughs) I do know that it's worth it and it's purpose for me and it'll pay off. So you're being your own best teacher. And mine too. (laughs) I needed that. Thank you, Allie. I really needed to hear that because it's so true. It's, it is time away from your kids sometimes. It is like, is this going to pay off? You know, and if you, I think, align with what you want out of it, the type of person you want to be through it, the type of person you want to be, and, and the people that you want to help through it, or once it's done or you build what you build, you just, all you can really do is hope that it, you know, that, that they see the good in it. And like you said, don't resent you for it after because it's something that definitely goes through your mind. I mean, if you think of the most successful, but also intelligent and aspiring people in life, it's people who had wild ideas that people probably rolled their eyes at, laughed at, thought they'd probably fail at, you know, and um, they probably had the same thoughts of you're not with your kids enough or you're working too hard or you don't spend enough time with your friends or you aren't sleeping enough or whatever. And all those things, you know, they could be true to that person, but within you, as long as you know that your intention is to build something bigger and better and to raise your children to, to know that, that they have the ability to do these things themselves, you don't realize how much you're teaching your children until it's them doing something like embarrassing or funny or silly or repeating something you say and you're like wow you actually listen to me so much and you be careful and so you know they're bound to learn and learn to appreciate the hustle and see how hard you work and that's what I tell myself every day as long as I know that I'm working so hard to build something that I know that is helping others that I know that's like fulfilling purpose for me and that it's the same truth that I had since before Kale died. These were ideas that I was bouncing off him, you know, in a long road trip to California. 
and here I am building it and I'm succeeding at it. Um, when you're, when you're doing that and you start seeing like little wins here and there, it's like, you know, you're on the right path. And so you just keep, keep going. And so hopefully my kids will see that. And hopefully they'll see that, you know, I failed and continue to fail and will continue to fail in ways. But I hope that they know that like I did it in a way that I could teach them or help improve their life in some way. And um, I also hope they learn from my failures too, that they don't do the same thing. So it's a learning. It's you're your own best teacher. And then sometimes your kids are your best teachers too. So totally. Yeah. And I'll echo what Andrew said earlier too. Those kiddos are very lucky to have you as their mama. Thank you. You're I welcome. appreciate it. I want to make sure that all of our listeners get access to you because you are full of gold mm-hmm. and just a wealth of knowledge. So we will plug everything in our show notes, in our blog, and you've shared so much already, but I would love for you to share with our listeners your three gold stars. Yes. So I could elaborate for days and days on these, but I'm going to keep them short because they're things that I reaffirm to myself daily. Um, the first one is going to be that you are built to withstand the things that you go through in this life. And so I think that's something I always try to remember of, again, I've been through something like so impactful, but I also like have to use that to teach myself things all the time that I, again, I'm still going to go through more. I'm still going to have more trials in this life. I'm still going to be sad. I'm still going to grieve. And I can still feel brokenhearted over, you know, something else. I can still get my feelings hurt by somebody just because I've gone through something so deep doesn't exclude me from the fact that I could go through other things later. And so I think I always remind myself that I'm built to withstand this um, and that the things that you've gone through in your life do teach you so that you can acquire that strength and um, get through just about anything that you're faced with. The second would be alignment in your life. And that's something that's honestly like a theme that I try to reevaluate all the time. And I think that it's something that I'm still learning every day and I fall off track all the time because I think that when you are in alignment with your truth and the things that you want and the the way that you want to live your life, everything else falls into place. And so living in true alignment, you can't ever go wrong. If you know that what you're doing is is chasing after something that you know that's going to um, better you or other people or your life in general um, and it has a purpose, you can't go wrong. So having that alignment and trying to live within that truth daily, and it's a daily reminder, that's something that I always hold on to. And then last would be finding like purpose within your pain because when you do that, instead of allowing something to totally like suffocate you and to bring you down, I think that if you really try to dive into what can bring you out of it and totally as a theme in your life as well, like the things that I've learned and the things that I'm saying to you guys today, I'm, I'm not this, you know, I'm not this like gold ball of energy every single day where I have these profound things to say and I'm perfect and all these you know, different ways. It's things that I've learned again through trial and error. And it's through 
um, turning my pain into a into a form of purpose that I've gotten here. And I think that it's important for anyone who's going through something to lean into that of, okay, I'm going to go through this today and I'm going to sit in the suck of it. And I might cry today and I might be upset or pissed off or whatever, but like, I'm going to turn this into something better and not only do that for myself, but I'm going to do it for other people. And there's um, something in a book that always stuck with me and it was, it's by Young Pueblo, if anyone wants to look him up, but it's a hero is how someone can go through something, but then show others how to do the same. And I think that that's something that I've always, like, once I read that, it kind of resonated and stuck with me differently, where if I can, if I can figure this out, and if I can carry through and find purpose through everything that I've been through, not to say that it makes it worth it by any means, I would do anything. I would absolutely do up anything to have Kill here with me. But if I had to go through this, I'm going to make sure that I show others how they can get through it as well. And at least my children. So those are, those are like my three biggest things that I try to remind myself of all the time. Beautiful. Oh, Allie. <laughs> Brooke and I have been crying nonstop this entire episode and just like inspired and moved. moved. Yes. Moved. That's a good word. Yes. Well, next we have Unleashing Ivy. So we have three more questions <laughs> for you. Is there a moment within these last three years that you would go back to yourself in that moment and tell yourself something? Oh, that's profound. So among the things I've already talked about as far as like, you know, the past three years and then the times where that were the hardest for me, I think that one that is really impactful still to this day and something that whenever I hear of someone who um, has lost someone, like I've, you know, there's other people that I know of that have lost a spouse since Kale died and people that I know that have lost a child since Kale died. And I'm already an empath where I so easily and always my whole life have felt things so deeply for other people. And I feel for people and cry for people and sometimes strangers. I think that the hardest moment that I know they'll have to face is when they have to say goodbye to them for the last time. And that was me on the day of Kale's funeral and we had um, his viewing. And it was the moment before they shut his casket and I had moment by myself, um, a few moments just alone with him. And I think that I, I really was not prepared for this because I think, again, I was going through moment by moment in the structure of how things, there was a schedule of like, this is what you do and then this is what you do. And then you check off these boxes and it's really sad that it is that way, but it is. And I can see why now because it keeps you focused as you're losing your mind. But um, I would go back to myself in those moments when I had to prepare to say goodbye to him for the last time. And it still is very emotional to me because this is the person that I had three children with. This is the person that like I had been like in love obsessed with for 10 years. And I didn't put it together until the time was happening that I would never see him in the flesh again. And um, that is when 
I switched from being like in panic and in like kind of autopilot from that whole week to I was actually afraid that I wasn't going to survive this. Like I, I thought that my body was going to fail on me from how much pain that I felt. And if I could go back, I would go back to her and tell her that there was so much to be learned and so much strength to be acquired. And, um, there was no reason to feel so lost and afraid and despair because there was still so much good to come. Because at that point, I didn't think I'd ever see light ever again. So that, that would be where I'd, where I'd go in, in the moment where I, I know that I would need that the most. Wow. I'm saying things to you guys that is actually like bringing things back to me, which this is helpful for me because I think that I go through my daily life and I'm working and hustling, getting kids to school and dealing with like the daily BS of like someone's frustrated with you or you have to make this appointment or pay these bills. And this is honestly just as helpful for me to re-listen and hear myself say these things because it's reaffirming to me that we are blessed to be here and I'm blessed to be able to talk to you guys about these things. I didn't ever think I'd be a person of reference or someone who could say that they overcame this. So I'm so just like overwhelmed with gratitude that you are here and that you're sharing with and just thinking of the people listening and how much you are going to move them and inspire them and just give them hope to keep living and to keep pushing and going moment by moment. I'm getting so emotional just well, by... And life happens and it's always when you least expect it because like you said, you're going through your day to day and yeah. you don't want to think about these things happening and you hope that they don't. And, you know, people can reference this 10 years from now. Well, and it's no matter what they're going through, right? It's like, it's just that hope that you will see light again. Like you can get through this. It's perspective. It's hope. It's so much that everyone needs to hear. So thank you. You're welcome. Follow up that. Another question. Uh, My question is more for your future, you know, aside from business, thinking about you And, you know, not having a partner and, you know, what is that like kind of moving forward, you know, to get lonely? Do you want to date? Are you looking forward to finding someone? Like, what's that like for you? Um, So many different things. I mean, I think that um, that's something that I think people still tiptoe around as far as asking me questions of like, it's so taboo, right? Like how to ask a widow, like, are you dating again? Or do you want to get married again? Like what, what's going on? And so, um, I think that I'm learning so much about myself going through this new phase of my life, because like I said, the theme of my life, you know, is kind of like growth and rebuilding now. And, um, dating has taught me so much more about myself because Kale and I literally met each other when I was a senior in high school. And three days later, he asked me to be his girlfriend. 
And then we've literally been together ever since. Like we had a couple hiccups when I was away at college, but ultimately he was like everything to me, you know? So that was something that I think that I can say, like when he passed, like it honestly felt like a piece of me had gone too. And it, and it did because we had grown together. We had built our life together from nothing. And, um, you know, we've grown up together, if you will. And so I think that for me now, it's like dating. Um, I'm no longer the girl or the wife that I was with Kale because again, I've had to become someone else. And it's been interesting because, you know, the way to date now is through dating apps and it's, you know, easy and convenient to get on an app and swipe through people and read like, okay, you're this tall and you work here and this is your favorite quote and, you know, whatever. And it's funny because I'm such a deep person. So I like to get to know someone beyond just surface level, but um, not everyone is that way. And so I think when people look at me, on something like a dating app or on paper. It's like, okay, you have Allie and she's a business owner and she's widowed and she has three kids and people immediately. And I know this from fact because I've like been told this, you know, it's like, okay, you're, you're a cool person. You're this, that, and all these other things, but like you're a widow and you have three kids. And I used to see that as like a sad thing. And sometimes like I get my feelings hurt and I still do. And I'm like, you know what? That really is sad. Cause like, They're judging me based off of the fact that I'm a widow or I have three kids and not really getting to know me. But at the same time, the right person is going to look past anything and, and get to know me for me. And so that's where with dating, I do, I would love, you know, to get in a relationship with someone um, that was within alignment with me and where I want to go in my life, who's going to be a good additional father to my children, who's going to help me raise my kids in the way that Kale and I did. But with a lot of that too, it's, it's me knowing that I'm a different person. So my expectations have to change a little bit. And that's been a question that people have asked me when, you know, I'm on a date and they're like, okay, well, like how, how would I deal with the fact that you're going to compare me to your late husband? And I have to say like, in order that wouldn't even be fair because to compare them to him would be me comparing myself to my old self and I'm not the same. And so I've kind of like adopted that mentality. And I think that goes along with like, you know, just single parents who have been divorced. I think even if you don't have kids and you just gotten out of, you know, long-term breakup or whatever it is, um, learning that you're going to have to relearn yourself and become, you know, you, you rediscover who you are when you, you are alone. And so to answer the other part of your question, I most definitely get lonely. I went from the point of my husband and I would literally cancel plans. Sorry, friends, but like (laughs) to hang out with friends to just hang out alone with each other because we love to hang out with each other so much to now I sleep alone in a bed every night. And, you know, I, I don't share a life with someone and with the father of my kids. And um, I really try to embrace the loneliness though. And this is something else, like it's kind of funny because I'll share this. I did get on the dating apps and um, I ended up matching with 
someone who now is like my business partner and best friend. And it's kind of funny because I've learned like a lot about companionship and friendship and it's all different aspects of life and things, but he's taught me like a really, like a lot of lessons in life. And a lot of it's like embracing being alone and being open and real and honest. And as much as I am a believer of all the things that I've said prior to this, talking to you guys, I also have a strong belief in the fact that you meet people when you do for a reason. And that's something else that could be totally cliche, but I think that you learn from people and you grow from them and you may help them in the process. But, um, you know, this person being my best friend and now business partner and, you know, kind of things that I, I do like companionship with through life. It's, it's teaching me that, the days that I thought that I wasn't ever going to be able to be a wife again or be able to like do those things that I used to do with Kale or hang out with someone with my kids with another male figure. Like I'm learning, like I'm still me and I'm still fun and I'm still like all of these other things and I can still enjoy life. So it's, I think it's kind of like preparing me for entering the real realm of having like a serious relationship with someone one day. And it gives me hope too that um, it's kind of like easing me into the idea of that is what I want one day and I can do that and it's going to look so much different, but it's going to be real and the right person will see all of that. I love that reflection. That's so beautiful. All right, Allie, in regards to your entire life, what is one thing you wish you would have known sooner? That is such a good question. Thank you. You guys ask ask really good questions. (laughs) Um, Oh, the answer to that question is going to be similar to how I answered the other about a point in my life I could go back to. And this is something that it was through therapy. Actually, I was doing talk therapy after Kale died. And, um, my therapist was like going through all these different scenarios of, okay, so how are you feeling right now with this? And like, what do you tell yourself to give yourself strength? And how would you, like she was doing a lot of self-talk and what I literally say verbalized to myself. And in the moment, like I felt like it was so silly. Like I didn't really, I was like, okay, like this doesn't work for me. I need you to like give me a blueprint of how I'm supposed to go through this. Not like tell me how to talk to myself. Cause that doesn't sound like it's going to work in this case. But something that she said was she wanted me to go back to myself as a child. And it was something that really, really struck me with some things that we'd been discussing during that session. And she literally had me close my eyes and envision myself as an eight-year-old little girl and to be able to look at myself as I am now and like tell myself, you know, whatever I wanted and to give myself that like safety and security that I felt like had been stripped from me when Kale died. And that's something that I journaled about and that I go back and reread my thoughts on this session all the time because it's something so reaffirming to me and something that anyone can like go through. And I had like a lot of things, you know, throughout my life before Kale died that I had to go through and things that were like unexpected and really hard and things that would probably shake like a normal person up to where it would change them and, and mine did. And I always thought about if I could go back to myself as a little girl 
And it wouldn't even be like one specific thing that I could say, but I would just want to give myself as a little girl, the security and the joy that I feel now, because as like, this could come off as so confusing or or maybe misunderstood, but I just have so much love and compassion and like a sense of wanting to protect like little girl me. Like, again, visualizing this makes me so emotional because knowing the things that I was going to have to go through and not even just with kill dying, but just things that were going to happen in my life. I just wish I could go back and give her like the security and the joy and the freedom that I feel now, even through loss and just that feeling. It wouldn't even be a thing that I would say. It would just be that feeling of you are protected and you are loved and you are appreciated. And no matter what you go through your entire life, like just know that you are all of those things despite what is said to you, what is done to you, what happens to you. And um, that's something that I think about all the time because LaRue is eight. And there's times that I just look at her with like this feeling of like, I just want to give her all of these feelings because she has dealt with so much in her life so far. And um, I want her to feel that safety and security and protection and love that she can carry through because you really can only carry that from within yourself. And I feel like kids do need to feel that and understand that and know that. And as an adult, I think you need to be able to recognize that and fuel that within yourself to like build from that you are all of those things and you have always been all those things despite how you've been treated, despite what's happened to you. And so that's something that I really try to harness in my times of weakness when I'm alone in my bed, you know, crying some nights or going through something so stressful where I feel like I have no one to turn to. It's, I was built for this. I'm going to get through this. And I am all of these things that I've always been. And um, that's a long answer to your question, but (laughs) something that I really feel. But absolutely beautiful. (laughs) And I don't even want to talk after you speak. I just, I feel like I just want to keep you talking forever. And so I just want to thank you for even trying to sum up what you've been through in your life. And it sounds like you have more stories to tell. So I feel like maybe we're going to be having Ellie back (laughs) on Heavy Unleashed. But we just appreciate you sitting down and talking through this. And I know, we both know, this is going to help so many people to hear details of your life and and serious insight on how you got through it. People don't go there and actually give the grit, what you said, what you felt, how you did it, what you would have said to yourself, or what you would give to yourself. I mean, that is so powerful. And I'm so thankful you're this eloquent to talk through it so beautifully. So thank you so much. We appreciate you so much for being here with us. Thank you so much for having me. I, I feel like just as much gratitude being able to share these things because I think when you say things out loud, you reaffirm them to yourself and the timing of this just with you know life right now, these are things I needed to go back and reflect on and things I need to like 
just reaffirm. So I, I'm appreciative that I'm here talking to you guys. Yes. And you'll be back because we want you to. <laughs> this is not the end. Uh, well, thank you again, Allie. And we leave every episode with a piece of gold. So would you like to share yours with us? Yes. So mine is um, a quote and it's from an author and her name is Brianna Weist. And she has like several, maybe not several, but a few really good books and she continues to write. And there was a quote from one of her excerpts that really hit home with me and inspired me to in turn like write a blog post on what I felt from this. Um, and this is just a piece of it, but it is recovering as a return, healing as a rebirth. And so for me, that really hit deeply because um, I think that, again, going through everything, like if you've been through some sort of tragedy, like physically, emotionally, is it loss? Is it, you know, the end of a relationship? Is it whatever your worst is when you're going through it? I think that recovering, it's just as it says, is a return. So you're, you recover from something and you may feel better and you may feel like you can do things that you did before. And that's one thing. Um, but healing is a rebirth because recovering is different from healing. There's a lot of work that goes into healing and recovering. Even if you were to get an injury and then just lay in a bed, your body would recover over time on its own. And it's made to do that. And you can do that. And healing is a completely different process because there's so much work to be done. And it's you being intentional and consistent and disciplined. And that's something that I've learned that, you know, in order for me to continue to heal, because I don't think I will ever be healed. I think it's a journey of healing. In order for me to continue on that path, I have to continue to fuel my body and fuel my mind and my spirit with the things that I know that are going to keep me again within alignment. And I have experienced rebirth through that. And that's what I'm like so grateful to say is that I have felt rebirthed in ways of being able to feel joy and being able to feel just laughter, to be able to laugh when there was days I never thought I'd be able to feel or do that again, to be able to enjoy someone's presence, to be able to enjoy moments. And um, that all comes through consistent acts and healing and it is a rebirth. And so that's, that's what I leave. That's something that, that I hold on to really tight. Recovering is a return. Healing is a rebirth. This is Gold Ivy signing off. Listen to your truth and go chase your gold.